Hey guys, thanks so much for joining us right here for the Active Church Podcast. We believe that you can tell a better story and we are so glad you are engaging with our content today. You're about to hear from one of our incredible teaching pastors and we hope that you'll be impacted by this message. Thanks again for being with us. Over the last few weeks at Active Church, we've been talking about honor and how honor is the pathway forward if we wanna build a better future for our families. Honor is what we give and what we receive in our families. It's really the test of love in our families. And so we've been talking about how we honor each other in all sorts of family relationships, like husband to wife and wife to husband, parent to child and child to parent, even sibling to sibling, which you know is difficult, right? We've even talked about how we can create a culture of honor where we can believe the best of one another and then talk out the rest. And then last week we talked how we can honor God with our resources. We can live honorably in our generosity through tithing. One of the best things that I get to do at Active is share the words of Jesus with you. And one of the privileges I have is you respond in some really unique ways. And often I'll receive direct messages or text messages from you. And it's just a story about how God is moving in your story. And so I'm grateful for that. And over the last few weeks, I've received text messages about how marriages are starting to work. Not perfect, right? But they're starting to work because you're choosing honor. Or I've heard stories about how parents decided to pause instead of exasperate. That's a fun word, right? Exasperate their kids. And I've even had some of you approach me and tell me that you are gonna connect your heart to your hand. You're gonna practice the biblical tithe. This way of honor, is a beautiful way. It's the way of the kingdom of God. And as we've talked about honor, it's always been this outward expression of what Jesus is stirring up inside of us. Honor expressed outwardly. But today in our final conversation about how we build a better future, how we do this all together now, I wanna give you one more posture of honor. And it's not one that goes outward to the people around you. It's one that goes upward to the God who loves you. And I'm I'm believing that this posture will help you to be great at life and great in life. But first I wanna ask this question. Do you wanna be great? Because when we talk about greatness, for some of us, we're not sure we wanna be great. We're not sure that that's something that maybe we wanna participate in or maybe it's something that we don't believe is achievable for us. And then there are others who may think that they're living great and they're achieving greatness. But when they would align themselves with the words and the actions and the work of Jesus, they would find that maybe the way that they're living isn't so great. I've come to believe that we desire greatness based upon how we define what being great actually is. And and I wanna give you two definitions today to get started. The language is the same, but the tone is different. Here's the first definition when we see things that are great. We respond this way, oh, great, right? That was my best dad voice, because typically when I say that, it's because there's a mess or something's broken in our home, right? But that's how we'll respond to moments in our life where we feel like life is just coming at us. It's one thing after another. I had a family member say that to me just last week. It just feels like one thing is hitting me after another. And our response to that is, oh, great. We're not excited about it, right? It's just one more thing that we feel like we have to navigate. And 
and we're frustrated. But then the second definition of greatness is similar to the first. It uses the same words, but the tone is different. It's, oh, great. That's somebody who has some joy in life despite the circumstances. That's somebody who isn't allowing life to hit them, but they're choosing to trust in Jesus, who is the author and the perfecter of their story, of their life. They want to make an impact. They want to use their influence to change their family, to change their world. Do you want to be great? I think all of us have a desire to be great. And whether you think that that's achievable for you, or maybe you think that you're there, and now that you're reevaluating that, maybe you're not there. I want to talk about how to be great at life and how to be great in life in this next posture of honor, which is probably the most important posture we could hold. And I want to use the words of Jesus to actually tell that story, because why not, right? He's God in the flesh. He's our Lord. He's our Savior. He has come to rescue and save. And what he had to say and what he has to say, it gives us hope and it sets us free. And this conversation is pretty remarkable. And one of the reasons why it's remarkable is because it's relatable. Because Jesus is actually responding to a question about greatness from those first followers. Humans, men and women like you and me, they were curious about greatness. And so they approached Jesus about it. And his answer, it caused them to pause because it wasn't something that they considered. It wasn't even something they thought about. His answer, was life-giving and life-changing. It was an honorable answer how they could honor God and they could be great at life and great in life. And so what I wanna do is I wanna walk through what Jesus said. I wanna work it through a bit. We'll give you some cultural context to the story. And then I wanna ask three questions that will help us understand what Jesus is trying to get us to understand. So if you do have a Bible with you, I wanna invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 18. We're gonna start in verse one. And so, Matthew, who followed Jesus for three years, writes down his experiences with Jesus. That's what this letter is all about. And as you're turning there, I want to go one chapter back to Matthew 17, because that's where this story really begins. This story is impacted by a moment where Jesus performs a miracle and it caused his first followers, the disciples, the learners of the way of Jesus, it caused them to go, well, who is this guy? Like, who is this guy that can manipulate nature and can heal people and can perform miracles? Who is this guy? Who are we hanging out with? But then the second question was even more important. They asked, what does this mean for us? Like, he's great. But what does it mean for our stories and our life? What what does he bring into our hearts and souls? And that's where we pick up the story in Matthew 18, verse 1. Matthew tells us that at that time, the disciples... After this miracle, they came to Jesus and they asked this question, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Like Jesus, we want to be great. We want to be great at life and great in life. And so we're wondering like, who's the greatest in this kingdom that God is setting up? The greatest in the kingdom of God. And their assumption was, Jesus, you're great and we're near you. So does that make us great too? Like, are we great by proximity? Are we great by association? You ever been around somebody that's really well-known, popular, likable? Some of that kind of rubs off on you when you're hanging out with them, right? Like as much as people want to talk to them, they somewhat want to talk to you because you're in proximity to them. You know them, you're in relationship with them, maybe even married to them. 
And that's this moment for the disciples. They're like, well, Jesus, you're great. People like you. So are we great? And will people like us? But Jesus actually doesn't answer their question initially. Matthew tells us that Jesus called the little child to him and placed the child among them. And the question is, so wait, why why did he do this? This feels very foreign to what the conversation was. Well, Mark, who was there, actually fills in some of the details that Matthew leaves out. In Mark chapter 10, verse 13, we read why Jesus does this because the parents kept bringing their little children to Jesus so that he would lay his hands on them and bless them. Now, this is a very Jewish cultural moment. Maybe in our world today in 2022, as a parent, we're not bringing our children to some random stranger who speaks about God. That seems foreign to us. But in this culture, it was something that they did all the time because Jesus, a man of God, a rabbi teaching about the way of God is somebody that they want their children to be around to hear about the story of God. But more importantly, they want this rabbi to bless their kids. In other words, they want this rabbi to say that God is with your child. And who doesn't want that? Who doesn't want to know that God is for your kids and working in your kids? Who doesn't want that? It's like what we do at Active. We dedicate kids. We have baptisms where we believe that people need to make those decisions. They have to have the cognizant reality, like in their mind, they're making that decision to trust in Jesus. They understand it. But if they don't quite understand it yet, then we do what we call child dedications. Child dedications is parents saying, we're going to raise our child in the way of Jesus. We want God to be with them and we want them to follow Jesus as they get older and then make the decision to get baptized. That's this moment. That's what Jesus is doing. He's blessing and loving and encouraging these kids. But then Mark tells us that the disciples kept rebuking and scolding the parents and the kids for coming near Jesus, for coming close, because they're irritated because they had a question. Jesus hasn't answered the question yet. They want to know who the greatest in the kingdom of God is because they think that because they're with Jesus, they're going to be great too by proximity. They're a bit frustrated. They're like little children. Parents can totally understand this, right? Teachers can totally understand this. Grandparents can understand this. And then Jesus actually responds this way. Mark tells us in verse 14 of chapter 10, when Jesus saw what was happening, he became indignant with his disciples because they know better. Like these guys are frustrated and they're rebuking and scolding the parents and the kids for coming near Jesus. And Jesus is like, time out, fellas. This is not how it works. He says, let the little children come to me and never hinder them. Don't get in the way. What are you doing? That's not the way of the kingdom of God. And then he says these words, which are powerful. Don't you know that God's kingdom exists for such as these? This is why I'm here. Specifically, these kids are right. God, your heavenly father has sent me. I'm for them. I'm on their side. And then he says, listen to the truth I speak, who, whoever does not open their arms to receive God's kingdom like a teachable child, will never enter it. Then he embraced each child and laying his hands on them, he lovingly blessed each one. Jesus got down to their level, eyeball to eyeball, high five, fist bump, hugged, prayed over them, blessed them, loved them. Like this was a moment where a child sees Mickey Mouse at Disneyland and they're thrilled, right? And this isn't Mickey Mouse, this is Jesus, the son of God. 
And these kids are stoked and Jesus is loving them well. And these parents are thrilled. And then Jesus answers the disciples question about greatness. Matthew records that in Matthew 18, three, he says this, Jesus to the disciples, truly I tell you, in other words, what he's saying here is, listen, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be honest with you. Like this is, this is for real, all right? Unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, in light of what you've seen and what you've heard and what, what has taken place here, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. Now there's a lot there. We'll talk through it in just a minute, but Jesus actually has one more thing to say. And this is actually strong and maybe even harsh, but it's true. In verse six of Matthew 18, Matthew writes this, Jesus says this, if anyone causes any one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned into the depths of the sea. And immediately everybody leans in, right? And Jesus isn't done. He says, woe to the world because of the things that cause people to stumble. So woe is like a warning or shame on them, or they need to be aware of what they're doing and the impact they're having. He says, such things will come, but woe to the person through who they come. If your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, ready? Cut it off, throw it away. It's better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into the eternal fire. Woo, that'll blow your hair back, right? Then he says, if your right eye causes you to stumble, you should gouge it out, throw it away. It's better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. Like this went from an interesting moment of, Jesus performing a miracle to the disciples considering like, who is this guy? What does it mean for us to asking a question about greatness to Jesus addressing them and telling them who the greatest in the kingdom of God is and then speaking in a very strong way about how they can impact the lives of the people around them. Suddenly the disciples are like, I'm sorry, I asked that question. So what's happening here? And what does this have to do with honor and living a life where we're great at life and we're great in life. Well, to work it through, I'm gonna ask three questions and then we'll bring an answer to those questions. First question is this, who does Jesus call the greatest in the kingdom of God? The answer is children. In fact, he said that this is what the kingdom exists for. This is why the kingdom has been set up for children. And then he gets really specific as to why he says children are the greatest in the kingdom of God. Here's what he says. Whoever does not open their arms to receive God's kingdom like a teachable child will never enter it. Here's his point. A child has the ability to trust in a very pure and authentic and genuine way. And a child is also teachable from a mom or from a dad or from a grandparent, from an aunt or an uncle, from somebody in charge, from a teacher. A child has this really unique way of trusting fully and being teachable. And some adults, they don't. Maybe because they've been injured or wounded or hurt or cynical or angry or frustrated. And none of that, none of that is to be pushed aside. But what Jesus is pointing out here is that childlike faith that trusts fully and completely allows you to be teachable so that you can be great in life and 
great at life. And isn't it true that children have to trust every single day their parents or their guardians or those in charge of them for their safety and their security and their basic needs? Isn't that true? And what Jesus is pointing out here is that childlike faith is why these children are great. It's not immaturity, by the way. This isn't an invitation for all of those that have followed Jesus for a long time or for all of those that have grown up and are an older generation and maybe married and have grandkids. This isn't an invitation to be a baby or to turn off your brain or to have blind faith. So, so don't hear that. What Jesus is saying here is childlike faith is deciding to take God at his word. I'm going to believe in his promises. I'm going to trust that who he says that he is is actually who he is. And he's going to do this, what he promised to do. I'm going to trust him fully, even when it doesn't fully make sense. And I'm going to believe in him and follow him and be teachable because there's something irresistible about the way of Jesus. Here's specifically what this means when Jesus is speaking here. When when he says that God cares for you, childlike faith believes God. When Jesus says that God will meet your needs, childlike faith believes God. And when Jesus says that you are loved, childlike faith believes God. Doesn't mean you can't have moments of doubt or questioning it, but it has, it means that we have moments where we go, well, I I know what Jesus has said and what Jesus has done and what he's communicated to us. I'm going to believe him over this doubt. I'm going to believe him over this fear. I'm going to believe him over this anxiety. I'm going to believe him over this emotion. That's what childlike faith does. That's why Jesus says the greatest in the kingdom of God are like children. Not because they're immature, but because they have great faith, they have great trust, they're teachable. They believe God, they trust God, and they know that life is better with God. So that's the first question. Who does Jesus call the greatest in the kingdom of God? The kids. Second question. Why does Jesus give such a strong warning? Like his warning was, if your foot causes you to stumble, you should cut it off and throw it away. If your eye causes you to stumble, you should gouge it out and get rid of it. Here's why Jesus is so strong here. And I don't think he's actually inviting us to pluck out our eye or cut off our hand or our foot. That's not the invitation. Jesus is just being really strong here with his words because Jesus takes what you do in life very seriously. Because what you do in life influences those around you. And as we've we've talked about family, husbands, you influence your wife and your kids. Wives, you influence your husband and your kids. Kids, you influence your siblings and your parents. Grandparents, you influence your family, even if they don't live with you anymore. Like what you do influences, you just get to decide how you're going to influence. And Jesus gets so honest about that because what you do in life, it actually matters. Friends, you're not living a life just about you and for you. You're living a life about others. That's why we've talked about honor outwardly. But today we're talking about honor upward to God. You're living for Jesus if you're a follower of Jesus. Jesus is clear about what happens when you do that. You exchange your way for his way. John wrote it down. Jesus said these words, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the father except through me. His point is this. He's very clear. If you want to know the way, then look to me. And if you want to know what's true, then listen to me. And if you want to know how to live life to the fullest, then follow me. This is the invitation of Jesus. You will see God and experience God in a a way that you never thought you could. You could call him your heavenly 
father. And then he continues in verse seven. He says, if you really know me, you will know my father as well. From now on, you do know him. Why? Because you've seen me. Jesus is speaking here. And so that's why he's so strong about his warning. Because your life impacts the lives of those around you. And that's important for you to understand. You don't live in autonomy. You live in relationship. Whether you like it or not. And maybe that's one of the reasons why we don't want to be great. Because then it gives us an excuse to do what we want and what we feel. It gives us an excuse to be selfish, right? Third question to help us understand what Jesus is saying here. What does this moment teach us about the life that honors God? Well, Jesus is very clear about a few things. First thing he's clear about is how God loves you. And he models that when he's loving these kids. He says, let the little children come to me. Here's what that means. You are not an interruption to Jesus. You are precious to Jesus. You are not an interruption. You're not bothering him. He is God and he can handle you and he can handle whatever you bring to him. That's the promise we see in the scriptures and that's the Jesus that we have decided to follow. He wants to be close and he wants to draw you close. And when you're close, you learn from Jesus. Not just proximity, like we're hanging out. Oh, hey, there's, there's Jesus. He's right there, right? But being close, like you know each other and you're learning about each other. Most importantly, you're learning about Jesus. Jesus is clear, not just about how God loves you. He's clear about how you approach God. And do you know that you don't get to determine how you approach God? God determines that. So when you use comments and excuses and statements like, oh, I can't go to church because man, if they knew that I was there, the walls would fall down or I can't go to church because I'm I'm a horrible person or I can't follow Jesus because I've done so many bad things or I can't get baptized because I have this past. That's you determining how you approach God. And guess what? I love you. You don't get to determine that. You're not God. God determines how we approach him. God determines how we draw near to him. And he says, Jesus, in this moment, he says that the ones with childlike faith approach God and experience God fully. Jesus is also clear about God. You don't get to define God. Isn't it funny how we can arrogantly make decisions about life and maybe we're not intentionally being arrogant, but we, get to, we think that we could define God and how we approach God. Isn't it funny that we do that? When we are at, we are at the disposal of God and yet he chooses to love us and be for us and encourage us and forgive us and save us. You are made in God's image. God is not made in your image. I'll just say that one more time because I feel like we just need to say it again, right? You are made in God's image. God is not made in your image. He doesn't bend and adjust and shape to what you want. He invites you into what he wants for you and created you to do. His purpose, his significance, his joy. One theologian calls it his glory. Glory is just another way of saying that we want what God is around us, in us, through us, in our families, in our communities. You know, we become more aware 
of how precious we are to God as we draw close to God, but then we become more aware of how precious other people are to God as we draw close to God and understand how precious we are to God. That's why Jesus gives that strong warning that if anyone causes these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for them to tie a large rock around their neck and drown themselves because this matters to him. Now that's strong imagery, right? Let's talk about stumbling for just a moment. Stumbling is losing your balance. Stumbling is becoming disoriented. It's being distracted from your reference point. And you and I, we can often find ourselves distracted and stumbling and losing our balance. And that's why Jesus says, eyes on me, trust in me, be teachable, be like a child, not immature, but be trusting in me and teachable, learn from me. And then when we do that, we actually get to invite other people into that as well. Do you know that your story can either bring about the wholeness in somebody or it can actually contribute to the weariness in somebody? It all depends on what you do with your relationship with Jesus Christ. And when you actually draw near to God, it will help others to draw near to God as well. Listen, when we know God, we will know how to lead others to God. So back to the beginning. You want to be great? You want to be great at life, great in life? It comes with a posture of honor that goes upward to God. And Jesus is clear. Your greatness is found in your willingness to trust God. Your greatness is found in your faithfulness to God. And your greatness is found in your awareness of the work of God in you and around you. Friends, I wanna invite you to consider what it means for you to honor God with your life. On June 19th, Father's Day, it's our, our next baptism Sunday. And I would love for you to consider getting baptized that day. But before you even consider that, I just wanna, I wanna invite you into something today that'll be life-changing and life-giving. I wanna invite you to trust in Jesus for the first time or maybe for the first time in a long time. And then you can express that belief and that trust through baptism on Father's Day, June 19th. And so as we finish our time together, I just wanna lead you in a moment where we talk with God and you, in your own heart, in your own mind, or maybe out loud if you're by yourself or with family, whatever is comfortable for you, you can say these words to God. So let me start and then I'll invite you into that. Heavenly Father, this invitation that Jesus gives us to honor you, to be great at life and great in life is an invitation into an honorable life to, to trust in you to be teachable. God, so may our hearts be softened to you and your promises. May our hearts be softened to your commands and your directives because you love us. We are precious to you and you've created us for more than just existence. And for those that want to make a decision to trust in you for the first time or maybe for the first time in a long time, if that's you watching or listening, just quietly in your own heart, in your own mind, you can say these words. Heavenly Father, give my life to you. Help me to trust you and to be teachable. In Jesus' name we pray and together we say, amen 
and amen and amen. We hope you enjoy the Active Church podcast. If you want to know more about Active Church, you can follow us on our social media platforms at Active Churches. Don't forget to subscribe as well to stay connected to future podcasts. And if you are a local, we would love for you to experience the room with us. Sunday services are 9 a.m. and 10.45 a.m. in Yukaipa. See you next time.